I, I want the pressure to be on this, on this group. And I wouldn't put it on them if I didn't believe that they could live up to it. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking the game plan for the U.S. men's national team over the next two and a half years. Matt Turner getting shut out. The holdovers. Tyler Adams update. U.S. women's national team roster drop. Qatar. Messi's mess. The USSF's responsibility, and so much more. But first joining as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Wednesday, February 7th in the year 2024? Doing well. I complain about the weather on Monday. It took a turn for the better today. Yes, we, uh, we have sunshine once again here in the City of Angels and in Southern California. Thankfully, uh, it, it got a little hairy there for a lot of people. And as we mentioned uh, earlier this week, torrential rains and uh, you know, mudslides and you know, some real problems out there for people. But we have gotten through uh, relatively unscathed, not completely unscathed, but um, brighter days are here literally for us uh, going forward. So, uh, and the electricity is all back for people, which is, uh, which is a good thing. Did you watch anything, my friend? I've got a couple things. Okay. Did, did you watch the TV show Beef, which was a phenomenon last year, won all those Emmys? No, I never even heard of it. Who's in that? How did we, how did we miss that? You might have mentioned it, and I just forgot to jot it down or whatever. But it's what, about two people who were involved in a road rage incident, and it ignites a feud between them that ends up destroying both their lives. I, oh, I vaguely remember that. Wasn't there another road rage movie back? Well, anyway, go ahead. I'll, so I'll, I'll check it out. In any event. Last night at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica, I attended a beef event, uh, very similar to the one I attended regarding The Sopranos. Uh, they again Wait, showed, it's big enough to have its own event? This oh, yeah. This show was a phenomenon. Oh, okay. Uh, they showed two episodes, which, again, it was great to watch on a big screen in a theater. And then there was a panel with the creator of the show and then the two leading actors, uh, the person who played Danny and then the woman who played Amy. Uh, it was absolutely terrific. If you haven't seen the show, and then none of this Episodal? means anything to you, but yes. Okay, so multiple, and it's done, obviously. And it's uh, done. No. You All can right. watch it. Uh, right. The other thing is, in the last week or so, I've watched both Poor Things and Past Lives. So I have now seen all 10 Oscar Best Picture nominees, including The Holdovers, which I think leads to your What Are We Watching submission. Well, before, before I tell you, uh, give you my review of The Holdovers, I have not even seen close to, to 10, um, but I've seen a couple of them, uh, including Barbie's one of them, right? Is that uh, correct? I saw that one, you know, that was, was horrible. Um, then the uh, Oppenheimer one, which I think is or the, is going to win a bunch of things. I, I saw that. I thought that was really, really good. And I did see the holdovers the other day. Of the 10, um, do you have a, a favorite? Not who's going to win, but if you were to pick it, if Mossy was to pick it. There's a guy that works here at Fox named Ian Martin, who's <laughs> sort of the Fox Ports resident movie expert. Okay. Um, and I talk movies with him all the time. He emailed me his top 10 rankings. And so that kind of motivated me to come up with a ranking of my own, which I emailed to him a couple of days ago. And so I, I won't give you the whole thing, but okay. I'll give you the top six. Uh, I have Killers of the Flower Moon, number one, Oppenheimer, two, Past Lives, three, Anatomy of a Fall 4, The Zone of Interest 5, and The Holdover 6. The Holdover 6. All right. Well, speaking of The Holdovers, I did uh, watch this. This is uh, Paul Giamatti stars, uh, let's see, Dominic Sessa, uh, the young upstart 
actor who evidently just auditioned for this movie. I thought he was really, really good. And uh, Divine Joy Randolph, who's getting a lot of uh, acclaim, too. Um, okay, so it, it's, it's reminiscent of a lot of movies that I have seen in the past. And so a, a boarding school setting is not necessarily any, anything new. It's a trope out there and has been for a long time. And so you look at Dead Poets Society and um, School Ties... I got a lot of Goodwill Hunting and Scent of the Woman and even books, you know, Catcher in the Rye type of stuff that went that went on. Uh, you know, Paul Giamatti, awesome. Anything that he is in, he is he is incredible. And in this, I think he is really really good. I think it was really well acted. I wasn't as interested in this story as I might have as that I was in, as I was in other of these movies that came that came about. So I think that the acting really. If I, if the writing or the story I think was as good as the acting, then I think you would have had that perfect mix. But I think that there was uh, something missing. Still good, and and something that I would certainly recommend. And I get why it's being, you know, put up for uh, for awards here. But I like some of those other ones that I named better. On my list, I had Barbie last, number ten, and I could tell this guy Ian Martin was not happy with me because he's quite the feminist, and so uh, it's been a little chilly between us ever since I fired off my. Yeah, I don't. My I don't ranking. think that. I don't think that feminism honestly has anything to do with the the Barbie reaction. I just think that you know a lot of people, including myself, were just turned off. It was once you got past the the art or the artistry, and it was is incredibly beautiful and creative in what they did with that world. I didn't find the story that compelling, and I also didn't, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, you don't want to be lectured to or virtue <laughs> signaled to. So I think that turned a lot of people off, regardless of, you know, how much they or, or little they support um, women or feminism or anything like that. So I don't think that the, that, that was the problem. Um, but it's going to win plenty of awards, and I'm not crying for for Barbie or anybody that was in it or, um, or made it. Uh, anything else, Mossy, that uh, you want to mention? That's it. All right, should we light this candle? Let's do it. Where should we start? On our last pod, we talked about the World Cup schedule for 2026, the venues, MetLife hosting the final, etc. Today, we'd like you to lay out a roadmap for the U.S. national team. Everything you think needs to happen in the next two and a half years to set the U.S. up for success in 2026. Well, the reason we're doing this, Mossy, and I, and I know you know you're you're around soccer people. In, in I mean, back when. That envelope was opened, and the United States was awarded the 2026 World Cup. Uh, it was it was an incredible moment because everybody recognized that there was this seminal moment, or what we believed is going to be a seminal moment, coming in 2026. And there was this ramp. Now we're we're going 100 miles an hour towards the summer of 2026. It's going to come before we know it. But throughout it all, everybody has been talking about harnessing and maximizing the opportunity. And there's the actual on the field part of it and obviously the off field part of it. And time and time again, we, were, we did a, a panel a few weeks ago that we talked about on the show. I heard it time and time again. Oh, it's going it's to be great. It's, it's this great opportunity. And you know, in the past, MLS, for example, has been a byproduct of that opportunity and harnessing that opportunity back in 1994 going forward. And a lot of, a lot of things, big things and small things have come out of it. Not the least of which is a fundamental change of the climate and the mentality. And I I think the respect and the credibility of the game that came out of both 1994 and 1999, and everybody recognizes that that power exists and you have to tap into it. And like I said, you have to, you have to harness it for our U S men's national team and for the program and the sport it's, it's no different. They have to do that. But 
How does that manifest? And I ask this question constantly to people. I'm like, what, what exactly are you going to do to harness that power? And so in looking at this U.S. Uh, men's national team right now, where they are, and I know even that in and of itself leads to debate. And I, I started thinking about some different things over the next two and a half years that have to happen. And they're no, in no order, and there are plenty of other things that you can talk, uh, that you can talk about. But there has to be a recognition and a concentration on how to utilize them and how to uh, maximize these opportunities that we have. You know, we've talked about you know, these big host cities, and even earlier this week when the, we talked about where the U.S. is going to play. First two games in Los Angeles uh, and a game uh, up in, uh, or first game in Los Angeles, game up in Seattle, two games in Los Angeles. And maximizing those environments that we have. Because this was done to satisfy Greg Berhalter and Matt Crocker and the United States uh, Soccer Federation. And those have to become moments that many years from now we are talking about. I, I still walk down the street today and people will say, I, I know where I was. Or if you're lucky enough to be one of the 100,000 people, I was in the stadium when you beat Colombia in the Rose Bowl. Or I was in the stadium when you lost to Romania. Um, or I was there at the Pontiac Silverdome. And so these moments, these big games in these host cities for the U.S. men's national team, it is vital that they become moments to remember that live long in the memory for everything that happened. And it's obviously the score. It's the way that you, well, if I look back, it's, it's the, even down to the way that you looked. Marcelo Balboa hitting a, a, a bicycle kick. But Harness that energy and harness that power and make sure that many years from 2026, you are remembering it and people come up to you if you're a player and say, man, I remember back in the summer of 2026. I remember I was just growing up and I was watching that game that was played at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. And I remember seeing you Weston do this or something like that. Also, the actual host cities, we know how important they are going to be, but all of those friendlies leading up to 2026 and all of the different things that are going to that are going to make 2026 a success is huge. Um, when we talk about the actual on-field Mossy, uh, first off, anything on the uh, host cities that you want to say? Because I want to include you here as much as I possibly can here because I'm riffing. Well, if we're talking about scheduling quality opponents in these venues in the lead up to the World Cup, I don't think you'll have a uh, tough time finding quality opponents. I think countries are going to want to come here to play to get the lay of the land before the World Cup. We've already seen the U.S. able to schedule a friendly against Germany early in this cycle. And I think as the World Cup approaches, you'll see more of that. So I don't think that'll be an issue if the U.S. wants to do that. And it will be interesting if those games are played in the venues that the U.S. is going to play. I mean, we played a bunch of games in the Rose Bowl leading up to the World Cup. We hadn't played a single game. Well, I hadn't. The team had played in the past games at the uh, Silverdome in Detroit, but we had played a bunch of games in the Rose Bowl and up in Palo Alto, for that matter, which is where our, uh, where our fourth game was. The development of key spots on the field, and we've talked a little bit about this in that there are no sacred cows. I want competition all over the field, all right? Just because you were a star and a young rising star in 2022 in the World Cup in Qatar, doesn't automatically give you a place on the team, let alone on the field. And I want people challenging. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about Matt Turner later on. Uh, Matt Turner right now, I think, is vulnerable. So I think that there is a, certainly a conversation to be had of when it comes to goalkeeper. I think a center back is somebody that can arise and really uh, stake a claim for himself. 
That three that we talk about in the midfield, I still think that there is room. And whether it's through injury and, we, and Tyler Adams, I know we'll talk about him in a little bit here, that, that type of stuff, and certainly up top when it comes to the still vacant position, with all due respect to Ballingen here, of that number nine striker position. So I think that's huge. I think the, uh, the Olympics this summer is going to be important. And then obviously the next two years, somebody has to emerge. I'd love it for it to be on all those positions that we talked about. And it doesn't mean that they ultimately start but a legitimate and valid conversation uh, and debate is what we need, as opposed to this is just the starter and there's nobody else uh, that's even challenging him going forward. Uh, look, the, the 1994 World Cup, if we don't get out of our group, the way we are viewed individually, the way we are viewed as a team, and the way the sport is looked at relative through that 1994 lens is completely different got to get out of the group but you have to get out of the group in a way that says we are moving on this was a this was this was a progressive and evolved type of approach in the way that they got out of it results ultimately are going to dictate how seminal of a summer it is for the US so obviously you have to get out and it's not just enough to get out of the group that round of uh, 32 now we're talking about here i don't care who it, it's up against Find a way to get past that. Do things that haven't been done before. And keep in mind, back in 2002, almost went to a, a semifinal of a World Cup. But this has to be a summer where we say we didn't, we didn't, just, we didn't just accept being good. We demanded that we are great and the players on the field lived up to it. And you would say it wouldn't hurt to start doing that in the Copa America this summer, get some knockout wins there. Well, I mean, I think we've talked about how important it is for Greg Berhalter and this team to show and prove that they are worthy of our time and worthy of our faith and worthy, worthy ultimately of our belief because it cannot just be blind faith when it comes to this team uh, going forward. And it goes without saying that when, when we talk about CONCACAF, and I know we have to measure ourselves beyond CONCACAF, but you got to continue to dominate CONCACAF. You know, we have this window coming up here again with the, um, I always get them all confused. Nations League Final Nations Four. League Final. There we go. Uh, it, shouldn't even, it shouldn't even be a question. Continue to dominate that, including when it comes to the Gold Cup. Uh, and, and also look, and this, I guess, goes back to some of the things we were talking about here. We have had in the past guests that have played in our Gold Cup. Uh, which is, the for those that don't know, the regional championship for, uh, for CONCACAF. We've had Brazil in the past. We've had Qatar in the past. We've had others. So I think, to your point, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to want to come and get the literal lay of the land over here in the U.S. So the more teams that we can possibly have in the CONCACAF uh, uh, Gold Cup type of scenario, the, bet the better it's going to be. And it's difficult. I get it. We're not in a qualifying situation because we get the automatic bid as being one of the hosts. So we're not going to go through that hexagonal or octagonal going forward. So the, the games that we are able to play in a competitive situation become that much more important. Or the games, to your point, that we have to schedule when it comes to friendlies, we got to make sure that it's not just against 11 warm bodies. Anything else you'd like to add here, Mossy? I, I, there's plenty of more, like I said, that we could talk about, but these are just some things that percolated. Well, the next chance to dominate CONCACAF, as you mentioned, is in March. The U.S. will face Jamaica in the semis, and then it would be either Panama or Mexico in the final. The U.S. looking to win the Nations League title again. And, yeah, there's been a lot of chatter about non, some pretty big non-CONCACAF teams potentially taking part in that 2025 Gold Cup, Brazil, Argentina, etc. So I think you will see that as well. So I think that one will be satisfied. I'm just curious, in terms of the developed key spots, you're framing this as you want the U.S. to show up in 2026 with a squad that 
it feels plausible they could win the whole thing yep. and that they're not intimidated by anybody. They, can, they feel like they can go toe-to-toe with the elite soccer nations, right? And so that really raises the bar. So there are positions you look at where the guys there right now are perfectly fine and for the level of opposition the U.S. generally faces in CONCACAF are more than good enough. But if you look at it through that lens, then it, there are areas I need to improve. Like center back, I don't see too many center backs in the U.S. pool right now that you would feel confident going up against the elite center forwards in the world and feeling like they, they wouldn't look out of place and can hold their own. So that transforms that into a bit of a problem position. Even center forward, when when Balligan committed to the U.S., I think we all fell into the trap of thinking, well, problem solved. And now we're starting to see that, you know, even Balligan is a bit of a question mark uh, as to whether he's on that level. So you're still wondering if the U.S. has that elite world-class center forward that's going to put the fear into the elite top defenders in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be by, by committee. I don't think that an Erlen Holland is just going to suddenly show up for the U.S., uh, and there's plenty of countries out there, even big countries out there, that would love for that to happen, but they recognize that that's not going to happen. But do, do, are you worried that th- whoever these players are that possibly come up to challenge, because they are either young and or ex- inexperienced, they will not have had the e- experience playing in other tournaments, and therefore it's it's hard for them to just jump in and do it at the highest level and with the expectations that you just talked about that I have and so many have, the higher no, expectations. No, no. I, I'm just wondering, honestly, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, this nucleus of Pulisic, Reyna, McKinney, Adams, um, is, is this the breakthrough generation for the U.S.? Are we putting too much on these guys in expecting them to be that? And, you know, through what lens are we judging him over the next two and a half years. If this U.S. team arrives at the World Cup with all these guys and and doesn't go super far, it's just around the 16 quarterfinals again, are we going to then judge this generation as a failure? They didn't live up to their uh, expectations? Or no, they did. It's just that some people wanted to rush things along and just placed unrealistic expectations on these guys. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious when we go through the U.S. squad and figure out what positions are good enough and uh, through what lens are we, are we judging these guys? Is it hoping that the U.S. arrives in 2026 as a team that can challenge for, to win the World Cup? You know, so I think you have to sort of figure that out first before you start evaluating each position and, and who's good enough and who isn't. Look, I, I'm all for being realistic. And you know, yes, there is a time too for romance and there's a time too for talking about doing things that haven't been done before but and I, and this goes back to something i think we've talked about before the opportunities the resources uh and the pathways that have been established for this group are unprecedented and so i don't think that it's unfair to accompany that with higher expectations. And those higher expectations are always going to be relative to the history and the past because it's not theoretical. We have improved. We've improved as a nation, and I think we have ultimately improved on the field. And so, yeah, I I don't think that... I don't think anybody's being Pollyanna. I don't think that people are... I don't think it's unfair for me or others out there to look at this group, extrapolate it out and expect things that haven't been done before come 2026. And if they don't do that, Mossy, yeah, I do think that it is. There's an element of failure. But I don't think it's because, I don't think ultimately it it probably will be couched as this, is that we were unrealistic in our expectations. No. I'm I'm tired of having low expectations. I I want the pressure to be on on this group. And I wouldn't put it on them 
if I didn't believe that they could live up to it. Because that, that would be unfair. But I do think that with all they have been given, much is expected. And part of that expectation is the pressure and the added pressure and the higher expectations that we have for them to do well. But I don't, I, 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 dis, I completely disagree that that is being unrealistic or unfair to expect this team, this particular group of players, with some changes over the next couple of years, to do things that we have not seen from a U.S. men's national team. It's interesting that Tyler Adams is the picture guy we've chosen to go with there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you, you, you can't count on any of these players ultimately being healthy. And I know we're, these are the best laid plans, and we're, like I said, extrapolating it out. And this is what they were in 2022, and so this is what, who they should be in 2026. Um, but, you know, you have to look at, look at it from a positive perspective, although we have not seen Tyler Adams in a very, very long time. Uh, anything else on this, Mossy? And, and we'll we'll go back and we'll revisit this as we go forward. And this doesn't even get into the maximizing um, and the uh, the opportunity off the field for everybody out there. That's something too. If you're if you're a soccer person out there in the business or just in the you know in the ecosystem out there, you better hit the ground running. You should already be planning for maximizing 2026. Uh, and maybe it's even too late if you're just starting to do it uh, do it now. Um, can we throw up that tweet there, uh, Producer Sean? Because I wanted to talk about uh, some stuff here when it comes to this team. And it actually plays into something that we've been talking about here. There, you know, This is a very human and honest, um, I guess it'd be a uh, post here, from uh, Joe is already sick of, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, so I, I'm assuming this guy's name is uh, Joe, but he says, I hate that I'm cheering for us, which would be the U.S. men's national team, to get absolutely embarrassed at Copa America this summer. But it's the only chance we have of getting a manager in place that can actually improve the team. First off, thank you, Joe, because I think you are one of the, the few that has the courage to be honest like this. Do, do I like that this is how you feel? No. But I, I'm sure there are people listening and watching out there that have experienced this in sports. This, this happens more than, than I like to think, but it does happen. And, I, and ultimately, it's human. This is a human type of reaction that you don't think that this group that we've been talking about, Mossy, can maximize uh, all of this talent that they have with the person that is in charge, which is, which is Greg Berhalter. And guess what, Joe? You're not alone. I, you know, you're, you're definitely not alone in criticizing and not being sold on Greg Berhalter. And that's certainly a fair debate to, to have. I also don't think you're alone, even though you might want to say it publicly, and you're one of the few that will, in feeling this. And that must be a horrible way to watch sports. And in particular, to watch your own national team, which represents your country, which I think in this case is the greatest country in the world. That must be incredibly painful. And if it's not, then you probably have bigger problems. But to watch your team and to either secretly or publicly be rooting for them to lose, I get the argument that you're going to make in that there is a greater good. And in doing so, you're taking a step back in order to go two steps forward. I just think that it's a, like I said, I think it's a, a way to watch sports, to experience sports. And 
I can't, I can't make you feel something that you don't. Like Bonnie Raitt said, I can't make you love me if you don't. And Greg Berhalter can't make you love him if you don't. And so the result of that is you watching your nat- national team, who I would like to think you love and you care about, you watching it in a, <laughs> in a way that you are happier when the team ultimately lose because it therefore gets you closer to what you think is a better type of situation. And, and you're not alone. Um, I don't watch this team like that, but I will raise my hand that I, I am not immune to this human trait and this human reaction that people, uh, that people have. I do think you have to fight against it. I don't think that you can just accept it and say that there's no way that I can change it. I, but I also think it goes back to this summer. I think Greg Berhalter has work to do, and he has to show whether it's Joe or anybody else. I'm not sure if Joe and others will be convinced, but to the extent that this summer can change that, that would be an incredible trick. Well, one of the items on your list there was knockout wins at the Copa America. You you would acknowledge if the U.S. was to get eliminated in the group stage of that tournament, then figuring out who the right coach is to lead the U.S. in 2026 becomes another element of this discussion. Oh, I think it I think it has to I mean, you have to get out of the group and I, as we said before, you have to do well in this Copa America. What well is, you know, that's in the eye of the beholder, but there has to be a general feeling that that was a successful team that I am excited about and that I can believe in and have confidence in going forward. And, you know, What's that? Uh, you texted us today the odds to win the 2026 World <laughs> Cup. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. was 10th for what it's worth. But this is an absolutely bizarre list because um, Brazil is second behind France, while Argentina are all the way sixth. And it pains me to say this, but who on earth right now thinks Brazil has a better chance to win the next World Cup than Argentina? Have they well, been paying any attention to what's been going on in the last uh, 12 months or so? Well, I, I'm hoping that this was a pass-through from our folks over there at Fox Soccer, because we, you know, you'll find it on X here. I, I retweeted it over there. Uh, and I'm assuming they're taking it from the betting odds. If, if not, we'll have to del- <laughs> delete this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, France is uh, number one at plus 500. Uh, our friends Mexico are down there at the, uh, at the bottom at plus 50. Not the bottom, but they're a plus 5,000. As you mentioned, the United States, plus 2,500. I I mean, you got Brazil at two, England at three, I'm fine with. I don't think Brazil should be as high. I don't think that Germany is interesting uh, and their, their pedigree. Portugal at plus 1,200. And so these are the teams in front of the U.S. France, Brazil, England, Spain, Germany, Argentina, Portugal, Netherlands, and Italy. Uh, <laughs> if they get back to another World Cup. The U.S. above Belgium, Uruguay, and Croatia which is interesting. Croatia, a country that's gotten to the final and semifinal of the last two World Cups. Now, again, these are, these are betting odds, and so they are designed to entice and to elicit out there. But, yeah, you know, this is, this is fun. And we'll see ultimately how it changes. But I, I do think that it brings up something, Mossy, that sometimes gets lost in all of this. The U.S. is, on a, on a good day, part of an elite group, all right? Let's say not the, you know, the top five, six teams in the world, but they are consistently now not only in the top 20, but closer to the top 10 than they're not. And so the opportunity for what a lot of people feel is the unthinkable, a U.S. men's national team win a World Cup relative to rankings, and I know rankings have to be taken with a grain of salt, it's not 
it's not crazy out of the realm of possibility for them to do these things. I'm betting Sean Sullivan perused this list and already has a couple of uh, plays he's thinking of making here. You know, he's a smart man. He recognizes when there is money to be had, as does our friend Stu Holden, so I'm sure he has looked through this, too. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. All right, where should we go to now, Mossy? All right, well, the U.S. women's national team has a competition coming up later this month, the inaugural edition of the Women's CONCACAF Gold Cup. And today they announced their roster for said tournament. Uh, some of the headliners, Naomi Gurma, will anchor the back line. Uh, Lindsay Horan and Rose Lavelle. Lindsay Horan, who was a topic on the, this podcast <laughs> yes. on yep. Monday. Yep. Uh, Lindsay Horan and Rose Lavelle in the midfield. You've got Sophia Smith and Trinity Rodman headlining the attack. No Alex Morgan, no Becky Sauerbrunn, but you do have some veterans like Crystal Dunn and Alyssa Nair. Um, this is still Twyla Kilgore coaching the team. Emma Hayes not around just yet. Uh, overall thoughts on this roster? Well, at the risk of being stupid, okay, uh, and not knowing what I'm talking about as an American soccer fan, um, <laughs> I, en- I enjoy this, uh, <laughs> this roster here um, because I think, it, I think it shows, even from you know, back in England where Emma is finishing up with, with, uh, with Chelsea, that this is a new sheriff, and this is a new direction. Uh, it should be mentioned that um, Mal Swanson is in camp, uh, but not part of this roster. And she is going to be a huge component going forward. Uh, suffered that horrible injury before the uh, before the World Cup. But I, you know, when I look at this, and you know, the Alex Morgans and the Becky Sauberns and that kind of stuff, and it doesn't mean that they're necessarily not going to be there going forward. But I do think that there is a culling. And a needed calling, if you will, of this team. And that this is team is going to, it's going to have your Roses and, and Lindsay's. But for the most part, this is going to be a lot of players who, whose charge it's going to be is to get back to winning ways and get back to the top when it comes to, well, the Olympics in the uh, short term. And then obviously the World Cup going forward. But this is fun. And even, uh, you know, uh, Jenna Nywander, uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, gets called in as a defender. So, I and and don't think for a second that Emma isn't orchestrating all of this right now. We we did this when there was interim coaches for the uh, national team and how much contact or anything like that. This is this is still Emma's team and the team that she is going to, I guess, inherit going uh, forward here when she's done over there in Europe and then through the summer and obviously towards the uh, World Cup. And you just talked about non-CONCACAF teams playing in the men's Gold Cup. We have four CONMEBOL teams involved in this tournament, Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, and Colombia, who, remember, got to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And then you throw in Canada, so there's some juice here. It's actually a pretty good field. Well, I'm a, I'm a little torn on this, Mossy, because from a competitive standpoint, this makes it great. Uh, keep in mind that this is a 12-team tournament, three groups of four. As you mentioned, of those 12 teams, four of them are from Comnable. So, you know, 33% of this tournament is not even from CONCACAF. And while it makes the tournament better, at some point, either you merge or you recognize that there are 41 teams in uh, 41 members in CONCACAF. And so there's a lot of members in CONCACAF that aren't part of this tournament and yet 33% of this tournament are teams that are coming from the outside. So I'm again I'm a little torn as to does this really help CONCACAF and women's soccer in CONCACAF um, or are we just becoming part of Comnable, which in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. We've talked about that before of, you know, this 
America's type of scenario that could possibly happen going forward. The shock, by the way, Jamaica didn't qualify for the Gold Cup. Remember, that's a team that got to the knockout stage of the World Cup. But you never know. You never know with Jamaica when it comes to, you know, and and, the and there was some off-the-field drama after the World Cup. They feuded with the Federation because they didn't feel like they got the bonuses that were owed to them. They refused to play some matches. So that perhaps affected them when they finally took the field to play in qualifiers for this Gold Cup. They ended up not making it. At, relative to getting back to being world champions, this is good for the U.S. The more, because we've seen this U.S. women's national team, uh, even more so the men's national team, have to play games at times where it, it does nothing. And a training session would be better for them. And this, just in their own group with Mexico and Argentina and whoever comes out uh, of CONCACAF there for their fourth group and with a tournament that features, like you said, Brazil and Colombia and Canada and Paraguay, that's, you know, that's, that's a good tournament. That's a good test for this team going forward, especially this young team and this new team, if you will. Maybe we'll get uh, Melissa Ortiz on to preview this tournament. Nice, nice. Yeah, she can bring in uh, some coffee, right? She, lo- she loves her coffee. Okay. Uh, anything else? Uh, yes. The Hopping back to the men's soccer, uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup is off and running. Round one got underway yesterday. Uh, Brandon Vasquez and Monterrey earned a 4-1 away win over Comunicaciones. There was a surprising result. Nicaraguan side Real Esteli beat Club America 2-1. And they have started that match for America. We've got, we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. We've got games tonight. Vancouver host Tigres. Uh, Chivas are away to Canadian side Forge FC. Uh, one overall question. I- I've seen this a lot in X. Do you feel like this competition sneaks up on people? They don't do a good job promoting it? And do you feel like, in general, it's getting overshadowed by the league's cup now yeah i mean (laughs) there's so many tournaments and there's so many acronyms and everything so you know this used to be Concacaf uh champions league right mossy correct okay so now it's back to ccc Concacaf champions cup um yeah i think it's i think it can be confusing but i but i do think that it's going to be a worthwhile cup Absolutely. Um, five teams, including Inter-Miami, got a buy into the round of 16. This round one is 22 teams. It'll spit out 11. That'll join the other five. That'll give us 16, and then we're off and running there. And yeah, there, there are some sexy teams. I mentioned a lot of them just now. Obviously, Inter-Miami. You know, even Chivas, the longer they stay in it, it gives Chicharito a chance to play in it. He's still recovering from the injury he picked up last year with the Galaxy. So uh, I'm looking forward to this, and the stakes are high because the winner joins Monterrey, Seattle, and Leon in the 2025 first edition that expanded Club World Cup. Uh, and just from a U.S. perspective, uh, Columbus, Inter-Miami, Philadelphia, Orlando, Nashville, Cincinnati, the Revolution, Houston, uh, St. Louis City, and then from a MLS perspective, uh, Vancouver. Uh, let's see, who, do we, who else? Uh, and they start tonight. But it's all kind of spread out. We had games last night. We have some games tonight with the Canadian teams coming in, and then there's a few weeks before they all come back and play. Look, I, I think it's, it's going to be a fun tournament. Like you mentioned, there is, something, uh, there is something on the line. I don't know. I was watching the, uh, the Real Esteli game down there from uh, Nicaragua. I don't know if you saw it, but it was played on a uh, synthetic surface, a plastic surface, and the surface was mesmerizing. And they ultimately got the, uh, the goal. The first penalty was a panenka right down the middle. I mean, huge balls to do that and ultimately they get the result two to one against club america i still think that they're in trouble going home for the uh, for the second leg but this turf that they were playing on was mesmerizing and it's always interesting and fun to me to first off see some place that's not in north america that actually has a synthetic surface secondly in this case to see two non-North or canadian or american teams playing on a synthetic surface and to see that 
that strange bounce and that strange role and to see how they adapted to it and to see them at times having troubles, even, uh, even though the home team, and it ultimately resulted in a win here. But it is a different game when it's played on those types of surfaces. That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll take a look at uh, what's coming up this weekend all over Europe. Okay, welcome back. Uh, some interesting things going on uh, this weekend over in uh, Europe to get ready for. Where should we start here, Masi? We begin in La Liga where we have a top-of-the-table clash. Real Madrid are currently two points above Girona and the two square off this upcoming weekend at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid sweating on the fitness of Vinicius and Rudiger. There's also an interesting story brewing with Girona. But before we get to that, do you buy into Girona enough to be genuinely excited about this match? In, in terms of what? In terms of the machine that it is and what's behind the scenes or what's actually happened on the field? Because on the field, yeah, I buy into them. And yes, I think that, I mean, it's amazing here. We're recording this on Wednesday, February 7th in the year 2024. And we're talking about Girona, okay, <laughs> in the context of playing Real Madrid. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's, it's Girona because of what they have done. I mean, yeah, so I, I buy into it in that they could, they could win. This is a competitive game. This isn't a have and have. Well, relative to Real Madrid, everybody's kind of a have not. But still, this isn't a complete little engine that could, especially when you when you lift up the uh, the hood there and check what's underneath and the uh, the money and the heft that is behind it. All right. So earlier this season, we talked about Girona and their links to Manchester City. And on Monday, while we were taping the pod, news broke that Man City are going to acquire this Brazilian player, Savio, for next season. And we were having a chuckle because Fabrizio Romano, in his uh, post about it on X, <laughs> referred to Girona as his parent club. And then he got community noted. It was pointed out that Tra is technically his parent club. And Fabrizio got all defensive about it and upset. So it was kind of an amusing moment. But there is a larger story there that's getting a lot of attention. So, again, there's this conglomerate city football group uh, that includes Manchester City, NYCFC here in MLS, uh, Tra, who are this French club, Girona, and a host of other clubs all across the world. And so, a couple of years ago, City Football Group bought this promising young teenage Brazilian Savio, and they framed it as if it was a Tra signing. Uh, even though there was never any suggestion that he was going to play for that club. He then was promptly loaned to Girona. He has been one of the breakout stars in La Liga this season, an absolute revelation to the point where the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona were interested in him. And had he been put on the open market this summer, he would have fetched 50 or 60 million euros. And instead, we hear that Manchester City are going to, quote-unquote, buy him from Tra, and everybody assumes it's going to be this token fee well below what he's actually worth. And it's just essentially City Football Group moving one of their players from one club to another. But the Premier League have stepped in and said they're going to review this and City have to prove that they're pl- paying quote-unquote fair market value for him and that this is a real transfer. And this is raising all sorts of questions about super clubs and monopolies and financial fair play. Is this a way that City have figured out to circumvent financial fair play? Uh, we had a situation in the U.S. where Tyler Adams was yeah. playing for the New York Red Bulls and when he moved to Leipzig, Leipzig paid a nominal fee, but it was well below what Tyler Adams would have been worth in the open market. It was just that Red Bull decided to move him from one club to another. So do you have an issue with this it seems to rub a lot of people the wrong way uh do i have an issue with it like i I don't because this has been allowed now and this isn't this hasn't been done behind the scenes okay city football group when you when you talk about them everybody knows exactly what you're talking about red bull 
when, when you talk about them, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about here. And at, in many instances, they're literally branding it the, the city or the Red Bull and stuff like that. But so if this was some sort of dark backroom type of thing that was going on, then I would have a problem with it. And if you didn't want this to happen, then you shouldn't have allowed it to happen, number one. Number two, if you're dumb enough to think that doing this wouldn't result in these types of things happening, then you shouldn't be in a position of power trying to make decisions on this. So I, I have no sympathy whatsoever for anybody out there. And this was good business. This was smart business. This was legal business. And now they are getting the fruits of their labor. And so when these, what do we call it, whatever you want to call them, satellites or franchises out there that have a connection to the mother, mothership, when they are doing business between themselves, it's an artificial market. But that's the, art, that's the market that have been, been created. And if you don't want that, first off, try to put that uh, train back in the station because it seems to have left. If you're going to put it back into the station, fine, but it's going to fundamentally change the business plan of all of these big, big, you know, corporations, I guess you could call it, and, and the strategy that they have of acquiring these teams. The other layer to this discussion is Chelsea are trying to cultivate a similar thing. Um, they've, Todd Bowley has created this holding company, Blue Co., which is the equivalent of City Football Group, and they bought this French side, Strasbourg, and some of the young players they bought last summer who they deemed not good enough for Chelsea, they loaned to Strasbourg, and Strasbourg, by the way, are managed by Patrick Vieira, and Strasbourg fans are protesting because they don't like that they've been reduced to a farm team for Chelsea and that they've <laughs> lost their identity, and that, you know, you've talked about how when a club has this identity of youth development, why should the fans care? And this is even worse because you're not even developing them for yourself. You're developing for somebody else. And so Strasbourg fans are starting to raise questions of what is our place now if, if this is all we're going to be and just a place for Chelsea to stash their youngsters for a couple of years. Uh, so that's also raising questions about this multi-club network sort of deal. I mean, the glib response to that is don't buy tickets. Don't be a fan anymore. If the, if if this, while it, while it is sad, if your club and everything that you held it out to be has fundamentally changed and is so different that you can't even recognize it anymore because of what has happened, then it's not your club anymore. It's not, it's not what you signed up for. And so go find, I know, this is, again, this is a real <laughs> way of saying it, go find another club. I, I know the response to me would be like, no, this is our club. We want it back the way that it was. Well, the world has changed. In, in, in essence, you let it change. And now this is the situation. You know, when, and I know maybe from an American perspective, it, we, we look at it at times differently, whether it's MLS clubs, the, you know, I can say this, being treated as a redheaded stepchild and having that mothership where everything is funneled up towards, yeah, it can make you feel less. Yes, it can make you feel like you're not getting the love that you deserve and the priority isn't you. Well, guess what? Yeah, the priority isn't you. When you are a minor league type of team, when you are a satellite of something else, then you derive whatever power you have off of that mothership. And it, it's the same when it comes to minor league baseball teams or other quote-unquote minor league type of situations there that have affiliates. The whole point is to get experience or to foster talent and to do it in, in a way that you protect those assets that you have and that you reap the benefits ultimately up there in that mothership.
speaking of Manchester City, we go to the Premier League next. They're involved in this three-team race for the title. Right now it's Liverpool at 51 points, City and Arsenal each with 49. City have played one fewer game than the other two. Just to run down what they each have this weekend, Manchester City home to Everton, Liverpool home to Burnley, and Arsenal away to West Ham. And I'll just say, uh, City faced uh, Brentford on Monday right before we taped our pod. And City have had a lot of injuries this season. This was the first time that everybody's been fit, and we were reminded what that lineup looks like when everybody is available and fit enough to start, and it was absolutely frightening. <laughs> I mean, just to give you the front six from the midfield up, the midfield three was Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne, and Bernardo Silva, and then the front three was Erlen Holland, Julian Alvarez, and Phil Foden, who scored a hat-trick in that game. And, you know, I- I've been trying to talk myself into Arsenal or Liverpool winning the title, but you look at a lineup like that and you think, are, are we just kidding ourselves? Okay, so Man City, Everton, uh, I, I mean, especially with, with er, what Everton is this year and what you just talked about when it comes to Man City, I mean, do you see any other result happening there? Uh, no. Okay, Liverpool, Burnley, you see any other result happening there? No. Now this, West Ham, Arsenal? The trickier one of the three. They, they could drop points there. Yeah. Exactly. And then you'd kind of be right back where we were a couple weeks ago when it comes, uh, when it comes to Arsenal. But... We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, should we talk a little Forest here? Yes. Nottingham Forest will play host to Newcastle. U.S. fans wondering if Gio Reyna might find his way into the starting lineup. One player I don't expect to start is Matt Turner, although he did start today. Forest had an FA Cup replay against Bristol City. Keep in mind, uh, if you weren't on the team when the original match was played, you weren't, you're not eligible, which is why Gio wasn't eligible for this match, which was bad news on the, from an American front. But the good news is that the goalkeeper that Far as signed before the deadline, Matt Sells was also not eligible. So Matt Turner got a chance to step in there. Uh, it finished 1-1. He was at fault on the Bristol City goal, but then he redeemed himself somewhat, made a save in the shootout. Forrest advanced on penalties. This weekend against Newcastle, I expect Matt Turner to be on the bench, and we'll see about Gio. Wow. Um, okay, so con- congrats to Matt Turner, uh, I guess, for being on the field. And, you know, hopefully you're only as good as your last play. So that last play was a save and a penalty. Uh, although earlier in the game it wasn't great, so I th- and we talked earlier in the show about you know there are some questions and fairly so about what Matt Turner is and what he is going to be relative to the national team going forward. So did you see the uh, interview with Matt Turner from uh, Sam Borden over there at ESPN? I did. Yeah, he had some interesting comments. He acknowledged he's not having the greatest season, but he did say he was disappointed that Forrest brought in a goalkeeper in this January window. He felt like he was doing well enough that they they could have stuck with him. Yeah, I mean, well, first off, credit to Matt Turner. Uh, he's always been really good uh, at at being honest and talking about things, and I guess even thinking about things. And interesting, I, I don't know if you, uh, you saw the whole thing, but at one point he also talked about Geo because obviously Geo is is new to the team, and you know when you have somebody that is uh, already there that already has gotten to know the lay of the land and somebody's coming in, you would think that there's some sort of communication. And that talk of, talked about reaching out to Gio and saying, hey, I'm here if you need anything, if you want to bounce off everything. And uh, Matt was funny in, his, in the way that he described that in, in Gio, in, in the only way that Gio can, kind of blanked him. It didn't, <laughs> didn't respond or anything. And, you know, I, I think it, while it was a funny story to tell, you know, I do, I do think that it shows that the dynamic within this U.S. men's national team, and there are there are very very different types of ter- personalities that ultimately have to get on the field 
and uh, and coexists. And you'd like to think that everybody is kumbaya and everybody's together. And I'm not saying that there's any problem between the two, but they obviously think about things and go about things very differently. And Gio was in the midst of a whole lot of stuff. So he might've just said, listen, I need to get my head right and uh, I'll figure it out. But Matt was very complimentary about the player that he was and what the player that his team was getting. And, and Matt, as we said before, Matt Turner, he's in a moment where he's probably having to focus on getting his together right now. Uh, and here comes, here comes Gio. But it was, it was funny that, uh, <laughs> that Gio uh, was not going to you know, access this, this, uh, this person that he had over here at Not City and was going to ultimately make his decision and let the chips fall where they may. I will say, had Forrest been eliminated today, there's a chance that Matt Turner would not have played another club game this season because he's now the number two in the Premier League, and this would have been it for other competitions that Forrest are involved in, and, and they're in a relegation battle, so they're not going to rotate at all. So. so, I mean, I guess depends, good or bad, when you're looking at it. The, we're back to a situation where Matt Turner is relying on cup starts, yep. right? Wow. Wow. All right. Well, that's not good. That's not good for him. Uh, what else, Moss? Uh, one more Premier League game to hit. Uh, Fulham, Bournemouth, obviously Robinson and Ream on the Fulham side. And we were finally given a Tyler Adams update. The Bournemouth manager, Idaola, did not give a timetable, but did say the recovery is going well. He's had no setbacks. I mean, I know we, we just kind of put Tyler Adams on the field. And I know it's kind of wishful thinking at this point. But it's because he's so good... And I think we just all believe that it's all going to go well. And again, I reiterate, these were serious types of injuries and then setbacks. I'm glad that it's, quote, no setbacks right now in terms of what's going on with his recovery. But I think we also have to come to the grips with the potential that when, that, when he finally gets back on the field, he might be a different player. And who knows? He might be able to adjust or even recover, or he might never be the player that we once thought. And that would, that would be crushing because of all of that potential and all of that talent and through something, no fault of his own, with an injury, if we were to miss out on having prime Tyler Adams in what he could be relative to his progression over the years, that would just be incredibly sad. But until we actually see him out there on the field, we're not going to know. And as we've seen before, sometimes you get right back on the field and we saw it with him and boom, you're right back where you started or there's another injury that comes from compensating going on. So Tyler Adams, we should make sure that we put an asterisk next to his name whenever we talk about 2026 and what's going to happen because it's not for sure that he is going to, one, be back and I guess more importantly, if and when he's back, can he be as dominating and as important uh, as we have seen in the past? We go to Germany next. We have a top-of-the-table clash in the Bundesliga. Leverkusen currently with a two-point lead over Bayern Munich, and the two will scare off in Leverkusen this weekend. Leverkusen unbeaten in 30 matches in all competitions this season. 26 wins, four draws. That includes the Bundesliga, the German Cup, which they beat Stuttgart yesterday to reach the semifinals, and the Europa League. Uh, but we'll see if they can cope with Bayern Munich here. Well, what do you think, Mossy? I mean, this is it, right? This is this is the moment that we've all been waiting for. Yeah. Uh, they did earn a 2-2 draw in Munich in September when these two teams last squared off. Um, I do think they need a win or a draw here. Psychologically, if Bayern go in there and win and leapfrog them, leapfrog them in the standings, 
Isn't um, this the moment when Bayern finally turns it on and says, okay, this is... <laughs> it's been, Pat's Leverkusen on the head and said, you've had a nice little run. It's been wonderful, but let us take it from here. I worry about the center forward position. They, they lost Boniface to injury. I know they picked up Borja Iglesias in January, but they're kind of piecing it together there. They don't really have an elite center forward right now while Bayern have Harry Kane, so that could be the difference in a game like this. <sighs> I mean, that's must-see. That's must-see. And obviously, Xabi Alonso has been in the news, getting linked to all these big clubs, doing a fantastic job. So the spotlight no, no, no matter what, on him. I mean, he, he is going to come out looking, looking great and looking very attractive uh, and on, like, the fast track, I think, to some very, very big things. Uh, should we go over to uh, Italia? Yes. Inter, we now have a four-point lead and a game in hand over Juventus. They beat Juventus last time out. They do have a tough game this weekend. They're away to Roma, who have ripped off three wins out of three since replacing Jose Mourinho with Daniela De Rossi. Uh, so we'll see. Inter, uh, this could be where they stumble. Uh, it's been I mean, De Rossi's done a great job. I and mean, all the talk of uh, Mourinho and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it, this isn't a... It, it's, 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 it's sometimes not fair, but they've really looked good. Three wins in a row. And, and who knows, if they, were to, if they were to beat Inter, can you imagine? Yeah, Paolo Dybala playing great there. And, you know, we never talked about this on the air, but right after Mourinho got sacked... Uh, some Mourinho fanboy on the internet wrote this incredibly pretentious uh, article comparing Mourinho to Ernest Hemingway, old man in the sea, and, and you forwarded <laughs> it to Sean Sullivan and I. We all read it and we're just kind of shaking our heads. I have to say, I'm taking that, that article is fresh in my mind, so I'm taking some pleasure in the success they're having since getting rid of him. I mean, this could be a, just a new manager bounce that'll wear off, but so far, so good with the Rossi. Um, notwithstanding you know, Chelsea beating uh, Aston Villa today in the FA Cup, do you see a potential for Mourinho? Because that's There's some chat bubbling. there. Yeah. yeah, Pochettino's in big trouble there, and uh, we could get a Mourinho part three at Chelsea. Wow. I mean, that, that Todd Bowley, he doesn't know which way is up. I mean, I hate the way people pick on American owners, but that's one where I can't <laughs> defend them too much. Wait, you wouldn't defend if he, if he hired Mourinho? <laughs> Just in general, the job he's doing at Chelsea. I mean, my God, oh, the yeah, money yeah, they've yeah. spent and what a disaster. Now he's going to fire another manager. I mean, <laughs> But I mean, you know, he's kind of, uh, maybe he's doing the Jerry Jones thing where we might not always win, but you always watch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, all right, what else? So I mentioned Juve are the team right behind Inter. They host Udinese this weekend. Um, and then I'll just hit on the two games involving Americans. AC Milan will host Napoli, so we know the four Americans involved in those two games. You go any which way you want there. Well, uh, what was uh, uh, Miss Kardashian's um, uh, son's name? Do we remember him? Saint? Was that his name? Saint, uh, Saint West or something like that? He, said, he told us his favorite player was Weston McKinney, so I'm sure he'll be watching. He was uh, over there at uh, SoFi with Rob Stone uh, announcing... Uh, the uh, 2026 venues and games and stuff like that. Uh, he's not the only one that's going to be watching. I will be watching for uh, for Weston McKinney. I don't think that they're going to have a problem here. And I think it'll be three points, but the damage was done uh, when they lost to Inter. So I still think that Inter's winning this. And so ride in for Juventus, get as much playing time, get as many goals uh, for Weston. And uh, for Tim Weah, I'd like to see him play as much as possible. 
And then AC Milan, they don't have to contend with Victor Osimhen because he's still going strong with Nigeria at the Africa Cup of Nations. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, Yunus Musa gave an interview to the Daily Mail where he talked about, among other things, a decision to play for the U.S. And he said crucial in that was a phone call he got from Greg Berhalter. It meant a lot to him. Berhalter really told him that he, he wanted him to play for the U.S. And that might have turned the tide the U.S.'s way. I mean, we've talked about the assessment of Greg Berhalter and all the different things that you can look at. And, you know, the reality of, well, anybody, but in this case, it's Greg Berhalter, the the coach of the men's national team right now has to be able to recruit. And the focus and the attention and the laser focus that U.S. soccer put on identifying and, let's be honest, wooing and recruiting dual nationals. And so not only contacting these players, but it's as important how you say things as what you say. And here's an example of that seed that was planted. And even years later now, and the way that we now look at him and kind of take for granted who uh, Yunus Musa is for the national team, he's pointing to this meant so much. This had an effect. And so this is, I guess, proof, proof of concept, if you will, when it comes to Greg Berhalter and the U.S. Soccer Federation and what they need to do. You're not going to win them all, and you can say incredible things, and the player is still going to have different ideas. But the ones that can be wooed, the ones that can be swayed, this is, this is as important as the X and, X's and O's out there. And part of that job that you need, whether you are Greg Berhalter as the head coach or other leadership there, Matt Crocker and others out there. It also helps U.S. soccer as a strong NIL program. <laughs> well, listen, utilizing the now players that you have at your disposal and previous players for the national team and getting you know, your Landon Donovans, or your Clint Dempsey's or others that people have grown up watching that's important. Use, use that. And I'm sure they are. So if there is a player that is, hey, I'm, I'm not quite convinced or I'm thinking about different things and I'm, I'm torn, whether it's Greg Berhalter calling or somebody that they respect and somebody that can plant that seed that then grows into a player and it ends up being the, uh, the difference, you better not leave any stone unturned if you're U.S. soccer. All right, next up, uh, the two major international tournaments going on right now. The final is set in both. We'll do Asian Cup first. It will be Jordan versus Qatar. Jordan eliminated South Korea, although Jurgen Klinsmann didn't seem all that bothered by it. What's with all the smiling after the game? Did you think that was weird? You don't understand, Mossy. <laughs> you don't understand the big picture and the goal, ultimately, that Jurgen has for South Korea. And so while this can be seen in, in the moment as a setback, I'm sure that there is a bigger plan and a recognition that maybe this is a step back in order to take two steps forward. And therefore, that, I think, is being shown on the way that he is <laughs> reacting. I don't know. And then Qatar, the host nation, and your defending champions beat Iran in the semifinal. The Iranian Messi, Azmoun, scored for Iran, but uh, Akram Afif and Almoez Ali also on the score sheet are old friends from the I World was up Cup. Early. I was up early watching uh, Akram Afif. It, it's, it's, so much, it's so interesting and fun because you feel like, I mean, over the last few years, we've done so many games. I mentioned that they, they were here for Gold Cups and that kind of stuff, and then obviously, obviously the World Cup, and to... And to see those stadiums that were ubiquitous and, and every single day, and then to see them again filled and this type of game, it just it bring it brings you back, Wasi. Um, so congratulations to Qatar. Although it should be said, it's not as if this is 
a crowning of Qatar and that this is the result of everything that came in the past because not for nothing, but they're the defending champions. Yeah, ESPN FC had an odd uh, post on X that tried to frame this as some incredible like underdog story, which I, no. I don't Jordan, get. okay. That, yeah. You can frame that, but when it comes to Qatar, they're hosting and they are the, uh, the, whole, the, the current uh, uh, title holders, so they're defending their championship. So that's going to be fun, uh, to, fun to see that. And like I said, I was up early. And then uh, Nigeria versus Ivory Coast is the Africa Cup of Nations final. Nigeria beat South Africa on penalties in the semis. Ivory Coast took care of DR Congo. Ivory Coast, your host nation. So we have host nations in the final of both these tournaments. The African uh, finals, they need to do a better job of marketing the, uh, the tournament. I, I think it's, uh, it's a pity. So, uh, but congratulations to Nigeria and Ivory Coast and you know, the, the host nations, if you can harness that power, let's, let's hope that happens either this summer well, or both this summer for the U.S. and uh, in 2026 going forward. Uh, anything else, Mossy? Good reminder by producer Sean. Sebastian Haller, a key figure for Ivory Coast. What a great story that is, given everything he's gone through. Great, great. Go- I mean, a great goal in that it's amazing if you watch this goal that he scored. He hit it. One of those things where you're, you're trying to hit the volley completely pure and you end up dorking it down into the ground, but it actually works in your favor because nobody's expecting you to, from that angle, find a way to, with one bounce, chip it over the goalkeeper. So he hits it, it goes into the ground, then goes up and over, and anybody that's played or been around soccer for any length of time, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. And then you just turn around and said, ah, meant to do it all along, but he'll take it. And it's a great story, like you said, given some of the problems he's had over, over the last couple of years. So it's great for him to get that goal. And congratulations to... Uh, to both teams. So we'll see that uh, in terms of the final on Sunday and the Asian final is on Saturday, right? Anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. Keep in mind that our social media handle is SOTU with Alexi and all the different platforms out there. Or you can call our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. And uh, what do we have uh, this episode, Mossy? Well... As we know, every morning you pose this question on X, what are we yelling about today? You briefly went with what are we talking about, and then you changed it back to yelling. But you got an interesting response from Practical Fanager, who said what he's yelling about is that MLS is totally invested in the messy thing, and Inter-Miami running the goat into the ground and ruining his legacy, our reputation, and showing everyone that money matters more than people. Now the guy is unhappy just like he was at PSG. He will leave soon is my guess. (laughs) Wow. There's a lot going on there. First, back to your initial uh, comment, Mossy. Yeah, so I started the year off. It was kind of a New Year's resolution that instead of saying, what are you yelling or what are we yelling about, I was going to say, you know, what are we talking about? And it, it just, I tried it and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't me. And I, I'll be honest, I don't look at yelling as a problem. Um, and so I said, you know, who am I fooling? I'm not really fooling anybody. And so we've gone back to yelling. But that doesn't mean that I am encouraging, uh, you know, mean or horrible types of things that you say. I still think you can do it in a civil, you can yell in a civil and respectful way. All right, when it comes to, uh, to Messi, we talked a little earlier this week about this um, this international tour and preseason tour that Inter Miami has on, and uh, you know, I, I I think I laid out why it's being done and the business and the sound business behind it, and you have this asset that is global, 
And you have to go out there and you have to make back the money that you are paying out for him. And you have to spread the, the brand. You know, that the team hasn't won games, eh, it doesn't really matter. Again, it's, it's preseason. I would love if they were, for, they, I'm sure they would love to be winning games. But the alternative is to, I get, I don't know, sit in Southern Florida and just have a preseason where you run around and kick each other and um, have some exhibition games here or there and don't charge any money. Where, where's the fun in that? Uh, where's the business in that? And it's, you're just as liable to get hurt when you step on the field in Southern, California, Southern Florida as you are anywhere else on the world. Uh, anywhere else in the world. So, you know, Busquets evidently sustained an injury. Okay, well, he could have sustained an injury doing whatever it is. And if you just want to put them in bubble wrap and not have them do anything until the first game, that's fine, but you will lose. And it will be problematic for you in terms of your preparation. These are not Fabergé eggs. They are incredibly valuable, and maybe in some instances they are worth as much as Fabergé eggs. But you don't have to worry about dropping them on the ground. Now, I don't want you to be reckless, and you do have to have a recognition. And I think Tata Martino, maybe more so than anybody, has some perspective and understanding that you can't run these players into the ground, and you don't want to put them in situations that risk the long-term success of your team. But Tata Martino knew when he signed the deal what this was going to be about and the international and global aspect of this team and the preseason and the selling of Messi and all of that kind of stuff. He knew that, Messi knew, and everybody else that signs with this team understands what they are getting into. And I'll be honest with you, I prefer this. I would much rather have this. This is... This is awesome. This is entertainment. This is fun. And it's also fun on the inside. I'm not saying it's not tiring. I'm not saying it's draining. But again, you get to travel the world. By the way, first class everywhere you go. And everybody lays out the red carpet for you in everything that you do. And I saw it happen with, uh, with David Beckham. So... Everything is planned for and everything is given to you and you are made more comfortable than any team and in any situation in the world. So you can't complain about that. And what do you have to do? Yeah, you have to get on a plane and you have to go around the world and you have to play games in different environments and you have to leave home. Well, suck it up, buttercup, is what I say. Masi, you? Well, the quote that uh, got people's attention. So they played a Japanese team, Vissel Kobe, today. Nil-nil, they lost on penalties. Messi came on as a sub. And uh, upon arriving in Japan, Messi said, Hello, good morning. We're very happy, or I'm personally very happy to be able to be back in Japan again. I've had the opportunity to come in different moments. I'm a little tired from the travel, but eager to play this last match before returning home. And this, I'm a little tired, everyone has seized on. Is it a good thing that before the season has even started, your star player is already complaining about being tired? I, I, I don't understand. I, don't, I have no sympathy. First off, I don't think he's saying that he can't function. I don't think he's saying he, they're in a preseason. Go down to a team that's in, again, southern Florida and training twice a day and go ask a player, how you doing? I'm tired. Yeah, it's preseason. You're going to get tired. It's just, this, is, this is insane. I, just, I, don't under, I don't understand that. Um, to your point, though, practical fanager... Uh, over there on X. I, I don't think that he is unhappy. 
Uh, I don't think that he is leaving anytime soon. But I also, you know, when when Messi gets in front of a Mike Mossy uh, in that type of social setting and in that media setting, we know that he d- often doesn't say a whole lot. And for those that are expecting a <laughs> a TED talk or something like that, you're going to be severely disappointed. He doesn't. He doesn't give out a whole lot. And so that we are dissecting the, the few sentences that he has made and we're all worried about the fact that he said he's tired. No, I think he's going to be fine. And just because Messi is tired doesn't mean that this preseason tour shouldn't have been done. It was the right thing to do. It was the expected thing to do. And if he, Messi, Tata Martino, or anybody on that team didn't want to do that, then they shouldn't have signed up for the gig because there's plenty of other people that would love to do it. Uh, what else, Masi? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break and come back to the end of our show and uh, our one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road. I uh, saw and I want to point out and um, I guess praise the United States Soccer Federation. You know, at times we are critical of things that they do either on or off the field. But, you know, in this instance, the United States Soccer Federation has just announced that their board of directors has approved $3 million uh, in uh, their Innovate to Grow grants that's going to fund 27 programs uh, from 25 member organizations. Now, the only reason I'm bringing this up, and I don't want to, you know, get into the weeds because I want to talk about a much bigger picture here, is that when we talk about the United States Soccer Federation, oftentimes, we talk about it as this, this entity, this all-powerful and all-knowing entity that does things that we like and that we don't like and that we question going forward. And all, most of the time when we talk about the United States Soccer Federation, it is the context of the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team. Now, obviously, they are the two entities and the two parts of this entity, I guess it is, that are often... Um, the most visual, and let's be honest, the ones that generate a tremendous amount of revenue for the United States Soccer Federation. But the United States Soccer Federation is much more than just the women's national team and the men's national team. Obviously, you have all of the youth national teams out there. You have all of the extended national teams, whether it's the deaf national team, Paralympic national team, deaf like just goes on and on and on. And so that's the actual competitive side and the teams that they have that require funding and that require resources and attention. And then you have all of the different membership that they are responsible to and all of the different programs and whether it's players, whether it's coaches, whether it's referees, goes on and on, uh, administrators, all of those different things. And all of them want attention and all of them need money. And there is a pie that the United States Soccer Federation has. To be fair, that pie has grown over the years. And that's a, that's a good thing. That is something to be celebrated. It has grown as the game has grown. And hopefully, it will continue to get bigger. That pie will continue to get bigger as we move forward. We, talk, we started out this pod talking about 2026 and what that's going to be and the opportunities that are going to be available. Well, the United States Soccer Federation is going to try to harness that and to grow that pie. That pie is then sliced up and given to various parts of the United States Soccer Federation. The fight 
And it's it, it, at times it's a good-natured fight, and times it's a down-and-dirty type of fight. At times it's done behind closed doors. At times it gets very, very public. That fight for that pie is about how much and how big of a slice your particular team or your particular group or your particular membership is going to get for either yourself and an individual perspective or for the programs that you are running. And it's not always easy and it's not always clear cut when it comes to how big that pie is, but more importantly, how much and how valuable those slices are and who should get it. All of that is to say is while we scream and yell about money and equality and equity and all this kind of stuff when it comes to uh, our national teams and obviously so much focus on our women's national team and our men's national team and what they are being paid and is it fair and relative to others around, others around the world. You know, every dollar that goes to the men's national team or goes to the women's national team is a dollar that doesn't go out there into that broader community and that broader ecosystem that is soccer. I'm not saying that it should, but the argument at times for why it should means that when that decision is taken, that there are others who are going to get a smaller part of that pie. And they don't have as large a, of, a, of a voice, and they certainly don't have the power that our national teams have. And so I just want to point out when money is going out and is doing good for, like I said, people and groups and... Uh, programs that we won't hear about. You just won't hear about it because they're not sexy, they're not big, and even here on the State of the Union, we probably won't talk to them. And I'm not going to go through all of these different groups, but there is this much greater soccer world that exists out there relative to the United States Soccer Federation that they are responsible for, and they are responsible to. And here's to having that pie get bigger so that there are bigger pieces that are able to be given to all of these worthy people and programs out there. Mossy, anything before we go? Yes, this is our last pod before Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, okay. It will be the Chiefs and the 49ers in Las Vegas. Before we started taping, I I saw you discussing this game with uh, Judy Boyd. Uh, You clearly have thoughts. Uh, Who do you like? So... I'm told uh, that it's a one and a half point for the Chiefs of Kansas City, which I think is, uh, I will take that. I know it's not a, a lot of points there, but I look at this. The 49ers are favored by a point and a half. The 49ers are paid. So, you, so, you, so don't you give it to Kansas Correct. City? Right. You give it to Kansas City. So the 49ers are the favorite. I, and I, I didn't think that that would be the case. I mean, I saw the 49ers. Uh, last week, I didn't think that they were that good, even though they beat my or two weeks ago when they beat my Detroit Lions. But this Patrick Mahomes dude, I mean, he's he's really really good. He's won Super Bowls and all that kind of stuff. So I don't understand how this is the case. But maybe again, it's designed to get me to bite here on the uh, on the Niners. Any bad karma for the Chiefs? The fact that Taylor Swift uh, ignored Celine Dion at the Grammys—that was disgraceful. <laughs> Can you imagine? The, the the level of stardom where every single thing you do is dissected, whether you whether it was intentional or not, there must be a point where you just you you can't deal with all of the bombarding 
of people saying, well, why'd you do this? And why didn't you do this? And why'd you say this? And why didn't you say this? And you look this way as opposed to this way. I mean, it's no wonder why everybody covers up their mouth now and does all that kind of stuff. Did you see at Media Day, a reporter asked 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy about the fact that he looks like Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Kennedy assassination buff, but there's a time and place. What an odd question in that moment. What, what it would be interesting to see is of the people that are watching the Super Bowl this, this Sunday, right? Sunday? What percentage know who Lee Harvey Oswald is? It would be interesting. It would probably be ultimately eh, be sad, but, you know, we, we move on. Believe it or not, I will miss a big chunk of the Super Bowl. Uh, we are covering the final game of the Comnebol Olympic qualifying tournament, Brazil-Argentina, on Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. I'll be here. Zach Kenworthy producing. Keith Cossigan on the call. But Why? I think we'll have, we can have more, multiple screens for you. But I, I just want to point out, ladies and gentlemen, if you need reminding about how committed David Mossy is to the game, that is commitment, my friends. Somebody has to do it, and it's going to be David Mossy and the others that uh, that you mentioned there. But you'll, you'll have one. We'll be able to throw up a screen and have one eye over there. So I'm going to go with um, Taylor Swift. Who are you going with? So Taylor Swift and the, and the Chiefs. Please. I think the Chiefs win. Okay. So, all right, perfect. We'll see ultimately what happens. But enjoy your weekend. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, if that's something that you're going to do. Uh, or, you know, all the soccer that we just talked about, including... You know, a Brazil-Argentina game, which is pretty cool. That uh, that should be fun. Have a have a wonderful, uh, wonderful Saturday and Sunday. We will be back here recording on uh, Monday here at the State of the Union. Keep reviewing and downloading and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do. Until then, and as always, my friends, long live Taylor Swift and size the day.